You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestoakville.ca. To be aware of the goodness and grace of our God over and over again to a room full of people who deserve it not, it's not insignificant to see your grace drench us every day we wake and our hearts beat and our minds can think of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And therein we say, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'll never die. That's not insignificant to be called a son or daughter of the Most High. Oh God, I pray right now we are not taking for granted the things that matter most. Just a few years ago, nothing existed here. But you've raised up a people, Lord, declaring your glory. you raised up men and women who love you. And you are saving people all the time. To declare again in the midst of darkness that we belong to the light. Oh God, I pray, and I pray we all pray together. Do not stop. Continue, Lord, now more than ever in the midst of this evil world. That you would build your kingdom and build your church. And you would get so much glory. Help us to see what life is really about. Help us to understand, Lord, what really matters. Help us to live now with a purpose that is only found in you. Please, Lord, unite us in this. Unite us in this together, a resolve, an excitement, a joy, a dedication to the glory and the goodness of our God. Please, Lord, would you do that as you have through song tonight and prayers and the word of God now and baptisms in a few moments. Yes, Lord, you alone are worthy of our praise. Amen, church? You alone are worthy of our praise, and we praise you right now. We say you are awesome and you are good, and you are holy, and you are why we exist. And so therefore, your will be done. Father in heaven, hallowed, hallowed be your name. All through this weekend and all through this year and all through the time that we have, oh God, maximize our opportunity, the talents and the minas that you've entrusted to us. May they return in multiple factors resulting in fruit and praise given to you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah 4. We conclude our series today called Jonah, God's Relentless Pursuit of You. I hope, I hope that you have felt God tracking you down during this series. I hope you have felt God pressuring you in a wonderful, beautiful way and calling your name in a more specific way maybe than ever before. And as we conclude Jonah here tonight together, this service, what a ride it has been, huh? What a ride Jonah has been. This story, never boring, packed with action, filled with excitement, and often suspense as we go through Jonah. And as I look upon, I mean, and your Bible is like my Bible, we have one, two, basically two and a half pages here in the Word of God, but how much God's Word comes alive, doesn't it? It's amazing how much God says in such a small amount here of things written down, but that's because there's no book like God's book, amen? There's no book like God's book. And as we go through this and He stirs our hearts and He captures our affections and He changes our lives, it's so exciting to think of what is next. And the thing with Jonah is just when you think things are calming down, then another twist enters into the story which is unexpected and very dramatic. 
just when you think things are going to calm down, and then all of a sudden, something unexpected happens again through Jonah's life. Kind of reminds me of a couple of weeks ago, I took my younger son, Kale to Canada's Wonderland. I promised I would do that for about a year or so, and finally lived up to my promise, and him and I went, and he loves roller coasters. Okay, when I went to Canada's Wonderland, I thought I loved roller coasters, all right? <laughs> but by roller coaster ride number 14, okay, my roller coaster ride number 14, there I was on this thing. And I, I must be aging, man, because in these seats, my head was banging around and I got a headache and I was moving around. I, was, I felt like I was getting injured before. This never happened 10 years ago. It never, ever happened. And here I was, and by roller coaster ride number 14, I'm like, when is this thing going to end, you know? And just when you think you reach the calm stretch, just when you think it's over, another loop, another twist. Kale beside me is like, woo And I'm going, oh, please let this thing be over. And there you are. And finally it ends, but this is so much like what's happening within Jonah. Please let this in some ways be calm, and we're just going to see a period of stability, but then another twist, another loop, and another need to endure in this life of Jonah that is before us. We turn the page, and we're totally surprised at what comes next. Chapter 4 is pretty bizarre. It really is, and yet it's not without its importance. So as we come to chapter 4 together, revival has set in within Nineveh. Revival has. God in chapter 3 is pouring out mercy and pouring out grace and pouring out his love. And we see again the heart of our God for the lost is seen here in such incredible displays of grace. And it's here. Remember, Jonah is God's prophet, God's servant. Jonah is supposed to be a man going after God. It's here you would think Jonah would be overjoyed at this miraculous fruit of this entire city turning towards the love and grace of God. I mean, what preacher of the word doesn't long to see the fruit of revival? I mean, honestly, like what preacher isn't longing to see the fruit of revival from their ministry? What prophet of God would not long to see an entire city move towards repentance of God's love? I mean, what servant of the Lord could actually get mad at God or become indignant of God when he's pouring out his grace upon a people? What kind of preacher would do this? What kind of servant, what kind of prophet would do this? The answer in this question is Jonah is the kind of guy who would do this as we're finding out. Jonah is the one who would act this way. So just when you think things are predictable and calm, it takes another turn towards the unexpected. And what we learn here, loved ones, is that Jonah's heart needs a lot of help and that's our sermon title when the when the heart needs help Jonah's just not in the place that he needs to be listen listen this is such an important word for us he's seen so much of God's grace he's experienced so much of God's grace and yet here in chapter four his heart shows signs of great and serious sickness Now, when we're reading Jonah, it's easy for us to condemn Jonah and to criticize Jonah and to say, wow, Jonah, what a doofus, all right? But that would be our first blunder because the moment we start pointing fingers at Jonah is the failure to see the reality of how we can be just the same within our own lives. Loved ones, this is so true for us as well. We have seen so much. We have known so much of God's grace, even this weekend as we remember, yet we remain in a place of great need when it comes to our hearts on a daily basis. You know what chapter 4 becomes? Chapter 4 really becomes another heart, uh, uh, another heart exam. And because it's, it's Jonah's fault in some ways, but Jonah goes under the microscope, and listen, we go under the microscope with him. 
And what we're going to see in this message here is we're going to see the areas that my heart needs help to. And so I have specifically through this message four signs that my heart needs help. Four indications in my life that my heart is not where it needs to be, that my heart is experiencing forms of sickness, that my heart needs the help and the grace of God. Four things we're going to see. Number one is this. How do I know my heart needs help? Number one, my thoughts are self-centered. If my thoughts are self-centered, my heart needs help. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah. What displeased Jonah? Revival displeased Jonah. God pouring out love upon Nineveh displeased. Notice, displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord. At least he prayed. I'll give him that. But this is what he prayed. Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now there are certain verses in the Bible you have to read twice to make sure you got it right. I think these are some of them right here. So revival comes upon Nineveh, and the result of Jonah is he is not just angry, he is exceedingly displeased and exceedingly angry at what God is doing as God moves to save people. Whenever you see in Scripture the words like exceedingly, that happened in the Christmas story too, the angels rejoice exceedingly, the shepherds exceedingly joyful, but here we see exceedingly angry that demonstrates how strong this language is. And in the Hebrew, this is very, very strong language. Now let's learn from Jonah here what this is showing us. This is showing us right here that it is possible to do God's will, chapter 3, and yet not have God's heart, chapter 4. Hear that again. It is possible to do God's will and yet not have God's heart. It's possible for us to move forward in the obedience that we know we should pursue yet at the same time suffer from an attitude of resentment or even stubbornness. It's possible to be here today in church because you believe that is God's will for your life, which is true to attend as a gathered family of God and in a setting of a local church. It's possible to be here right now, yet not be in harmony with God. It's possible to attend a prayer meeting, but have no heart of prayer. It's possible to do what you know you should do, but in reality, your heart is suffering from a desire that's not really in harmony again with where God is. It also shows us how quickly, how, how clear, how, how quickly the heart can move from humility to hardness. Because here's what I believe. I believe chapter 2 is real in Jonah. I believe chapter 2 is real and Jonah is in the fish. I believe he is broken. I believe he is greatly humbled. I believe his prayer is real and sincere. And I also believe that the heart can so quickly wander and therefore harden. And somewhere along the path from Nineveh, or from the fish to Nineveh, Jonah's heart has wandered, it is hardened, it weakens, and listen, it needs help. Now I have a footnote in my Bible beside the word exceedingly. Do you have a footnote in your Bible beside the word exceedingly? And my footnote says, it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. Okay, consider what this is saying. Jonah saw revival, and in some sense, he considered that exceedingly evil in his heart. One word for that, wow. Wow. Not just saying he's angry with it. In some sense, he's calling it downright evil what God has done. Jonah has seen the grace and the mercy of God. 
And because it was upon a people that he personally despised, he lashes out in anger against God. Listen, listen. Jonah cannot stand the wideness of God's mercy. He is so self-centered, he only wants the grace and love of God to be within him. And so he's literally declaring God's grace to be evil in this context because it's going upon a people that he can't stand. That's tremendously self-centered and evil of Jonah to ever call the grace and love and mercy of God evil as it goes forth in a way that he may not like. So what Jonah does, he reverts back to the place he was in in the beginning. He knew God to be love. But he wanted to hoard this love within his own life and his own people. He's so mad because he didn't want God's love to be shared. Let me ask you, is there really anything more self-centered than that? I want God's love, not you. Not those people over there. Not that group of people. Not that certain lifestyle. I want God's love, but not them. I hate them. Is there anything more self-centered than that? Listen, is there any sign more indicative of a heart that is sick? Is there any sign more indicative of a heart that needs help? But before we look too far down into Jonah's life and again condemn him, I think it's important we say, well, what about our hearts? What about our hearts? Are our hearts hearts in a good place? Are our hearts maybe in a place where they need help as well? What about our attitudes? What about our approach to the love of God? Let me ask us some questions. Do we ever become jealous and bitter When God seems to move in another family that isn't ours? Where God is getting great glory from a certain family that we find ourselves suddenly jealous and bitter and resentful for the fact that God's spirit is moving powerfully in them and not ours? Do we ever find ourselves ever bitter over God's grace to them because we then for a moment say God has not been gracious to me? Do we ever resent the blessing of God upon another life spiritually, financially, practically? Do we find ourselves resenting God for blessing them because we believe they have, we've not been blessed in the same way? Do we ever suffer from envy when God seemingly raises up one individual over us and seemingly more than us? Do we have envy in our hearts and start wishing bad things would happen to certain people? Is it our instinct to criticize or fault find when God blesses a movement that isn't ours? That happens way too much in the church. When someone explodes in spiritual growth, are we resentful that it isn't us who's getting the praise of the person who's seemingly been set apart by God in a new way, in a different way, and we're here in the background like the Pharisees just hurling insults in our mind because in the end of the day, we're so self-centered, we can't rejoice in the praise and the glory of God through any person whatsoever because we need to be us? Sadly, the answer to a lot of these questions I'm asking in different ways in our hearts will be, yes, I am like that which indicates that my heart needs help. That your heart needs help. Are there people, groups, nations, or religions that we believe are not worthy of the gospel? Think about that. Probably wouldn't say that ever out loud. But in our hearts, are there certain sections of this world that we think are so evil they're not worthy of the gospel? That, that was Jonah's problem. They're too evil. They're too awful. I can't stand it. It's incredibly self-centered to be in that place. Jonah's heart was sick. 
He needed help. The bottom line is, how self-centered are my thoughts really? Self-centeredness is a sign of sickness. The more self-centered my heart is, the more my heart needs help. Listen to what Jonathan Swift wrote as to Jonah's state of mind. This little poem, he said this. He said, we are God's chosen few. All others will be damned. There is no place in heaven for you. We can't have heaven crammed. We are God's chosen few, all others will be damned. There is no place in heaven for you. We can't have heaven crammed. We all know of churches that are so insular and so tight, no one's good enough to get in that circle. That's so wrong. That is so self-righteous. That is so self-centered. That is not the gospel. That is not the Great Commission. That is not the love of Christ. That is complete arrogance. That any church movement denomination could sit in a place and say, we got it all going on, we're the church, and you all are wrong. Really? Really? That's not Christ. There's no way. But this is what Jonah was struggling with. This is where he was. Oh God, may we see the potential reality of the sickness in our hearts of being so self-centered. That's the first sign. Here's the second sign my heart needs help is this. My default is self-pity. My default is self-pity. Look at verse 3 now. Jonah says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. It is better for me to die than to live. What? Verse 4, And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? So consider the heart sickness of Jonah here. He's so mad at God's grace. He's so angry at God's grace. He's like, Kill me! Kill me, God! I want to die. Because I see you right now. I've heard reasons of wanting to die, Okay? But God, you're too loving and too gracious is not one of them. And this is the loving Jonah, or the, the reason Jonah's putting forward right now for wanting to die is because God is too loving and too gracious and too merciful. But notice this once. Learn here from Jonah's life, which is so proven through biblical texts elsewhere too. Notice the path of despair and destruction when you're on the path of self-pity. Notice how your mind starts to think such crazy thoughts. Now, self-pity might feel good in the short term. It's devastating in the long term. Notice what happens when Jonah looks within himself. He forgets the view of God. He states the view of God, but he's not living the view of God. Notice this. Notice what happens. Self-pity, it isolates him. He's going to isolate himself in a few moments with, under a tree. Self-pity does that in our lives. Self-pity makes him irrational. I want to die. I want to die. Self-pity makes us think crazy thoughts. Self-pity is inconsistent. What happened to the Jonah chapter 2? What happened to the Jonah chapter 3? And then here in chapter 4, it's complete. It makes us inconsistent. And self-pity flat out makes us inaccurate. We're, we're, we're just not thinking properly. So it isolates us. It's irrational. It's inconsistent. It's inaccurate. When we suffer from self-pity, we're not going in a good direction. Then in verse 4, God says, do you do well to be angry? In other words, Jonah, do you have a right to be angry? Jonah, what's your problem? Jonah, you really want to die? I think God's saying, you know I think God's saying here? My paraphrase, hey, Jonah, get over yourself. I do. And you know what? I think that's a word for all of us in some form today. Hey, Robbie, get over yourself, man. It's not about you. It's about the Lord. Self-pity makes it all about me. And self-pity makes it all about us. Here's the significant opportunity to learn today as to the negative power of self-pity, the negative emotion of self-pity. The root of self-pity is pride. 
Pride comes from a powerful drive and self-pity also comes from a powerful drive to protect ourselves and our egos. Self-pity, loved ones, is fundamentally a disagreement of how God has treated us. I want to say that again. It's a very important statement. Self-pity is fundamentally a disagreement with with how God has treated us. Self-pity is, God, I feel let down by you. God, you've been unjust in my life. God, you've been unfair. Self-pity is, God, I judge you to have mistreated me within my life because I'm not where I should be and I'm not who I want to be and I'm not getting what I think I should get. And this is the danger and the devastation of self-pity. So when we go down in self-pity, what happens? We start to sulk. We sulk in self-pity and we move towards a cycle of despair, if not thoughts of depression. Woe is me, I shouldn't have more, blah, 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 blah. Um, self-pity uh, throws away gratitude. Self-pity, though, revels in complaint. Let me ask you, are you a complainer? You naturally complain about your situation? It's a form of self-pity. Self-pity thrives on selfishness, but opposes selflessness. Notice this, too. Self-pity halts all spiritual progress. It's devastating. Why am I growing? How come I'm not growing? How come I'm not growing? Well, Maybe it's because we're just so concerned with ourselves. We're so self-centered and we're filled with self-pity that what happens is we enter into this downward spiral of self. The worst part about focusing on self is you're just looking at self. And what happens is you start going down the drain in this cycle of the spiral going down, 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 like flushing down the toilet yourself. You're going down. And then if you don't look up at some point, man, you're just going to keep going down until you sink into the muck. And that's how depression really begins. It's the initial thoughts of, of me, 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 me. Instead of looking at Christ, 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 Christ. Beholding the glory of the Lord instead we're beholding the self-pity of ourselves. That's probably for some of us here even right now. We feel like we're going to win. It feels good at times to make it all about us. But in reality, we're eating ourselves out from the inside. Notice how this self-pity makes Jonah clueless. Do you see that? It makes him miss the entire point of life. He wants to die. Listen, he wants to die because people are getting saved. What? But do you, do you see how it makes him irrational? He's not thinking. He's got a fog in his life. Self-pity often causes us to have really insane thinking patterns. It just doesn't make any sense. And what Jonah's doing right here doesn't make any sense. Loved ones, we will never win with self-pity, ever. We will never win with self-pity. It, it's, it's difficult to convince ourselves of that in our flesh, but the Lord and his word and by the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, he will. We cannot win with self-pity. It's a sign that my heart needs help. Sign number three. By the way, I need to go quickly today. We have a lot of baptisms coming, okay? So I'm moving quickly, but notice sign number three. My actions are self-absorbed. My actions are self-absorbed. Look at verse five. Verse five says, so Jonah went out into the city, isolation, to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there and he sat under it in the shade till he should see what, the, what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from the discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so he was faint. Notice God appointed a plant, a worm, and a and a scorching east wind. Tell me, who's in charge? 
yeah, God's in charge. And the sun beat down his head so that Jonah saw he was faint, and he asked that he might die and said, it's better for me to die than to live. Fascinating. What a story this is. And what an interesting, fascinating story of a heart needs help. By the way, we said this before, but in some sense, as, as discouraging as this is, you know, aren't you glad the Bible inclu- includes failures? Aren't you glad? Like, I'm so encouraged by that. Every guy, every person, every woman we see here is perfect. We have a bunch of people that we're looking at like, oh, man, he didn't do so hot right here. You know what I'm saying? And that encourages us because God's helping us see we all need him. Even prophets of God and servants of God set apart for him. We need him and we need his grace. So verse 5, Jonah goes outside the city. He comes up with a makeshift tent. He finds shelter from the sun. It also says in verse 5, he sat under it till he should see what would become of the city. It appears here that Jonah is still hoping that judgment will fall upon Nineveh, that destruction will come upon them, because he sits outside the city, and he's looking in, hoping again God in his wrath will come down and like obliterate these people. But instead, the Lord causes a, a plant to grow and give shade, grace. Notice in verse 6, this is the first time we see Jonah happy. He's exceedingly displeased and angry, when he sees God move in grace. But now it says he's exceedingly glad. But notice as quickly as the happiness comes, it goes. In verse 7, the Lord appoints a worm. It attacks the plant. The plant withers. The sun beats down. And once again, Jonah says, I want to die. Now much to learn here from Jonah's life and attitude. Notice this. Notice, notice in his downward spiral of self-focus, all his happiness is rooted in himself. His happiness is rooted in his circumstances. His happiness, he was angry at God's grace. He's happy with a plant providing shade for him. You know what's interesting? We can be unmoved with tragic death and destruction across this nation and this world. We can be unmoved by that. But we can lose it and be furious when our car gets scratched. We can... can, um, struggle to give any amount at all to the kingdom of God. Hey, do you want to give 20 bucks to the cause of Christ? Let me pray about it. I got to pray about this. Let me see. Wait, I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't think I'm going to. But then we drop hundreds on an outfit like that. No hesitate. Why? Because it's about self. If I give to the kingdom, it's not about me right now. The Lord. But if I buy for self, it's so easy to buy for self. I'm not praying about that. It's a heart that needs help. It's a heart that has actions that are self-absorbed. Notice he's so self-absorbed that he's miserable when a city is spare, but overjoyed when he has shade. Notice how quickly Jonah makes an idol out of this plant. Notice his joy depends on the idol. Fascinating here. What God gives us grace, the plant, Jonah turns into idolatry, abuses it, misuses it, puts his joy in this, but when this thing is gone, his joy is not in Christ, so then his joy is removed and then he becomes in a place of despair where he actually wants to give up and die. So what's amazing, but it's actually depressing, is how such small circumstances can set off a whirlwind of frustration and anger. When Paul Tripp was here, I love what he said in his conference. He says, many of us will question the existence of God when we get a flat tire. Because our idea of what God's will is for our lives is that it's free from any kind of pain, of any kind of trial, any kind of anything. So when it happens, God, how could you do this for me? It proves I'm so self-centered, so self-pity, so self-absorbed. And this is Jonah. This is Jonah. It's something, eh, when our idols get poked, 
how indignant we become when we place joy in self. And selfless and self will always let us down. It always sets us up for tremendous disappointment. Jonah was so self-absorbed at this point. He says, if I can't have it my way, I just want to die. Second time, I want to die, God. I want to die. And you know, I look at Jonah's life and I'm like, help us, Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, when our heart starts to move down these patterns of thinking. And we get so consumed with where we are that we miss out on all the grace of the gospel. His heart needed help and listen, so do ours every day. Here's the final sign that my heart needs help is this. My, my judgments are self-deceived. So look at verse 9 now. But God said to Jonah, notice again, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Man. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came to being in a night and perished in a night. He says, and should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? So notice again, God asked for the second time, do you do well to be angry? And here are Jonah's final words recorded. Here are his final words that we have in this book. And he says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. His last words, not the greatest. See what's happening here? Probably the greatest problem with self-deception is that we don't know that we are self-deceived. It's one of the greatest problems. God, help me to see the sin that is avoiding me. Help me to see what I can't see. Help me not to be blind. But what happens is we convince ourselves of irrational, unwise thoughts in an attempt to justify our own sin. Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Jonah's judgment so out of whack. He's so self-deceived. It's all messed up. His heart, loved ones, his heart needs help. The Lord responds to Jonah. He says, you pity the plant which you had nothing to do with. I pity the people of Nineveh, which I created. And so Jonah's heart needed help. It needed some serious help. And Jonah, in his self-centeredness here, his self-pity, his self-absorption, his self-deception. But listen, ironically here, Jonah was not without hope. The very thing that angered Jonah would actually be the very source of his hope. Do you see his hope? It's in chapter four, verse two. This is his hope, but the very thing that angered him, he said, Lord, I knew you to be a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. That's Jonah's hope. The very thing that angered him was the love, the mercy, and the grace of God. And listen, it's this grace and mercy. There's been a a, a lot of conviction within this message. But I think what we need to see right now, it's the grace, the mercy, and the love of God within this book of Jonah that pursues us and calls us because God wants to forgive us. We're all Jonas in some way, but the hope here is found. God, I knew you to be gracious and loving. So the very thing that, again, Jonah was so upset by, that's the same God that he serves too. And Jonah, we don't know what happened after this, but when Jonah goes to the Lord, he finds a God of grace, a God of mercy, and a God of love. Listen, listen, you and I do too. Right now, my heart needs help. My heart needs help. But I know someone who can fix it. I know someone who can heal it. I know someone who can forgive my heart. And his name is Jesus Christ. And every time you and I go to him, this is why we need the gospel. This is why we need the gospel. Lord, my heart needs healing. My heart needs healing. And you go to him. Listen, you will never find a God disappointed with you. You will never find a God waving a finger at you. You will never find a God who won't embrace you, forgive you, cleanse you, and love you. But the heart needs to get to the place where you said, man, I've been a Jonah, but now I'm running to the love and the grace of God. All of us have been Jonas, but that's the whole 
part and point of the gospel. Now, we have some Jonas with us right now tonight who are about to be baptized. And they're Jonas because they've been apart from Christ, but now they're going to stand up and say and declare by the gospel of Jesus Christ, he has set me free, I am alive, and he loves me, and he has healed my heart, and he's using me. I'm not perfect, but he's using me in my life. In fact, they're sitting with us right now, so they're going to get up and leave. Can we just clap for them as they do? Come on, baptism people, get up. We're going to clap for you. Amen. 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 Give it up, church. Give it up for them. Amen. Exciting. And as we're getting ready, let's just pray, loved ones. Let's just pray. Lord, I pray right now. I pray right now with the reality of what's happening, that we're all Jonas in some way. God, I pray right now the joy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Loved ones, where you are, where you are, if you have conviction, take that to the Lord. Take that to him right now. He, he sees you. He loves you. He forgives you. And we say, God, I don't want to have a sick heart. I don't want to be in this place, Lord. My heart is, is messed up. I want to be in a place where I see you and I know your grace and forgiveness, Lord. I love you because you love me, oh God. So we're forgiven, standing here, ready and excited for all that you will do in this time now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.